Well, ladies and gentlemen, it was a whopping couple of hours where I initially thought that we could all focus on UK Black History Month, but no, no, I completely forgot that it's party political conference weeks. Your happy days, and the words public against Chuck D, bring the noise. On the FM Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It was very, very quick. I was just like, ah, oh, October, yay. We can do some, you know, nice, good, healthy black education. You know what I mean? And how uh, stuff like, you know, black life in the UK didn't begin with Windrush. It was merely the, you know, a significant middle point um, of the story that we have, you know, been building so far. Um, as a diaspora, but no, no, none of that, because now it's just, well, especially this week is a deluge of um, conservative uh, speeches and just collectively embarrassing themselves. Um, Liz Truss, for some reason, is back in the picture. She's changed shit. Um, Swella Bravman's... (laughs) funny just it's funny how you know you know if you've listened to this show before um you know that i consider this i consider this pod in some ways as like a time capsule for myself right where i can go back and you know read and read about the things or listen uh, listen to me read about the things that you know i'm learning on the go and um you know one thing I did learn before podcasts, before I started Was Good as a podcast, and uh, was um, the concept of whiteness. You know, I learned that in university more uh, more viscerally, and it really woke me up to a lot of things. Um, and it's just funny how there's, you know, people of colour, in not just this country, but, you know, everywhere, that just don't get it, that just don't understand the concept of whiteness and how um and how yes people of color can be racist yes i know wild concept but believe in me it happens and case in point um the likes of swilla brave uh, braverman and also as we're going to get into this episode um kemi badnock as well um but that's, that's teasing. That's that's what you call uh, that's what you call a teaser. Uh, but yes, we have a all society episode for you guys. Um, partly just because I wanted to focus on a particular topic, but it kind of just spread into all four. And I feel like you know, I didn't want to look into the conservative party conferences in too much detail because. I just don't have. I, I want to protect my energy, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm getting enough from you know formerly the app formerly known as Twitter. So um, I get the occasional video of just conservatives showing their asses, and that's enough for me, right? I don't need to watch Channel Four News to have them, you know, um, quote unquote grill, you know, uh, conservatives about meat tax and 
yada 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 and whatever bullshit they're going to come up with next because uh, it is a daily occurrence ladies and gentlemen like the amount of crap that the conservative party just come out with every single day um is actually kind of impressive um like the media still stuck on meat tax that was like a week ago like they they there's so much more bullshit to to get into you know, I'm not. I I remember listening to you know the news agents when it began, and I'm off that now. I can't really be asked because it's kind of just I don't know, just just not my cup of tea. Um, as I found out over a month, and um, yeah, just I, I just don't I just don't have the energy for any of that. But I do have the energy for things and for societal topics are adjacently linked to these um, issues, um, and I feel are more pertinent and feel. I feel are worth talking about, hence, you know, why this podcast exists, right? <laughs> is I only talk about things I think matter. Um, but, well, actually, not things I think matter, but things that I want to talk about, and also things that um, I feel, you know, should be covered more. Let's just say that. It's, it's more soft, isn't it? So, yes, this is an all-society episode, um, which is fun. I really get to... I really do um, um, a... Um, an episode on one particular segment of what the show could be. Um, I don't, you know, I really, I've, I've, I don't do all sport. I don't do all film. You know, what I mean, I try and keep it. Um, I try and keep it um, variety, uh, varied. But you know, for this one, I feel like society just, you know, needs a deeper look um, for a lot of these topics. Um, and they're all, I mean, three of them are heavily linked, and then one's kind of outside it, but. Um, it's all linked to societal ills in general. So with that said, let's jump right in. But before that, four minutes before we begin, email, socials, writing, all that in the full show notes, as well as the music for the episode, for the show and also podcast under the 5VPN. Um, started our UK Black History Month retrospectives on Digging in Digits. Started off with the one and only Derek B. And uh, we have So Solid Crew coming next week, um, which is going to be fun to do. Big up So Solid Crew. And uh, yeah, with that said, let the beat drop. Let's get into the show. In a week where actor Michael Gambon dies, age 82, uh, Dwayne Kefady, 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 um, Davis is arrested and charged with the murder of Tupac Shakur. Um, HS2 is, to Manchester is scrapped. Um, Sam Bankman Freed's uh, criminal fraud trial begins. And of course, happy UK Black History Month um, to all that celebrate. Um, but you know this uh, as uh, you know. I remember that quote, well, not quote, but I remember that clip of Morgan Freeman saying, "You know, black instrument shouldn't exist." And you know, it's this kind of a, oh, oh, why, why would he say that, right? But think about it. If you know, black, if black education, um, if if education and black history was actually taught in schools we wouldn't need stuff like this because people would be guessing up every day in the same way um white people talk about uk rap um, instead of um, you know guessing up the new dave track or central c track or the new uh, k trap and heady one uh, album right instead of that we'd be talking about you know we'd be we'd, well that's all fine that's all well and good i'm not dissing that but i'm saying 
let's put that energy in for, you know, black education, black history and other things that, you know, I feel, you know, should be, you know, uh, of note. But anyway, um, let's begin with the just. I'm going to call it the outsider topic out of of the four, Um, but it links to HS2 in a certain way. Um, So this is all about motorists and the myth of the the war on motorists, which is something that Rishi Sunak has uh, been, you know, talking, spewing a lot of grease about in the past week. And um, I feel like it's worthy conversation to have, um, you know. The, the the war on motorists, which is um, always a thing, um, but uh, I just find it a bit funny, right? That motorists get what they want. <laughs> like this, look at this country. Like look at roads. It, it they cater to cars. They don't. The the the, the public spaces don't cater to um, to you know people on foot. People. You know, they can't walk, etc., etc., right? They're disabled, etc. Um, it's all about drivers. You know, drivers um, are the ones that have the road. They rule the road. Literally, the road is for motorists. So to say there's a war on motorists is kind of hilarious. Um, anything progressive that can be made on, you know, the war on motorists, um, it would, be, would merely be a dent um, because people... I've said this, I said this a couple of weeks ago. I think um, that you know motorists. Some people just need cars for whatever reason. Um, I think I was talking about in links to poverty, and yeah, I get it. It makes sense. But anyway, let's jump right into this. So this is by Pete Walker via the Guardian. It's called "The War on Motorists: The Secret History of a Myth as Old as Cars Themselves." Outstanding. Um, and as uh, yeah, yeah, there was, there was also a video I watched. Um, about uh about motorists and uh especially in america like oh gosh it's, it's crazy uh it may it actually it may have been like an ig clip um of houston or something but yeah just seeing how and you know you've seen you've seen those on the internet i'm sure where like uh, has you know before and after of america and it's crazy how you know it wasn't dedicated to roads and now everything's just a highway it's, it's absurd but anyway start by in 1905, when there were still only about 15,000 motor vehicles in the entire UK, the impact was sufficient to leave a deep impression on Evelyn Everett, Evelyn Everett Green, what a name that is, a prolific, hugely popular author of improving books for children with titles such as Tom Tempest's Victory. Quote, all the plants under glass were spoiled, all the flowers were spoiled, all the strawberries and grapes were spoiled, she lamented. I had an inflamed throat all the summer, and my eyes were very troublesome. I had got new typewriters in 1902, and I had to change them again this year. They got so gritty, unquote. What was this blight? It was dust, thrown up by cars driving for pleasure uh, through Everett Green's home village of Albury, Surrey, or Albury, Surrey. Her heartfelt testimony was made to a royal commission set up by the government following serious public uh, public worry about cars, which at a time were not only new but increasingly unpopular. While, all, while now all but forgotten, this inquiry was an early but arguably pivotal skirmish in an argument that has raged ever since. How much should we redraw the world around the needs of cars? 
a bit more simply, is there a war on the motorists? Or has, in fact, the motor vehicle been waging a war against everyone else? Mm, nice question, Flip. I like that. If you were to ask many modern drivers or read certain newspapers, the verdict would be clear. Motorists are overtaxed and are forever being burdened with unfair new rules and restrictions. Or even worse, marginalised in favour of cyclists. Oh, dum dum dum. More fervent advocates argue that a crackdown on driving is a part of a is part of a global plot to trap people within so-called 15-minute cities. Oh, gosh, they never talk about, you know, public transport when it comes to 15-minute cities. And actually, there was a um, really good clip, I think it was on Radio 4, uh, with some random-ass, again, Tory politician, it was basically just spouting conspiracy theories on live radio um, about, you know, uh, about this, about, you know, 15-minute cities, and if you don't know, say... It's a concept where, you know, everything you need is within 15 minute walk, right? Um, So, you know, if you, you know, for me, a corner shop, heavily necessary, I believe, right? If you just need, you know, the quick things, quick essentials, corner shop, boom, right there. I feel like that's a necessity everywhere and I feel like it should be, right? And some places it ain't. And that's unfortunate. Um, you know, pharmacy, doctors, um, public transport, obviously. Um, Yeah. They talk about all those things and the whole concept of 15 minute cities and saying like, oh, we're trying to uh, trying to um, uh, keep people in uh, keep people isolationist or something like that, right? And it's like, no, you just you haven't accounted for the concept of public transport where you know you can get a train and you hop on to the next city and to the next next place. You know what I mean? That's what public transport's for, taxis, etc. To the point where people won't need cars. That's what we're saying. Obviously, people need cars and vans for like jobs and stuff, van men, etc., etc. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in general life. You know, where if you want to go to the shop, you can go to the fucking shop because it's within 15 minutes. And instead, going in your car and having to drive half an hour to go to the big Tesco. That's what I'm saying. That's what the concept is about. But anyway, continuing on. It is within this 21st century context that the early history of the car is so telling. While driving has, for obvious reasons, always faced at least some official limitations, time and time again the motor industry has proved itself ingeniously good at successfully arguing against meaningful restrictions or at least minimising them. And so it was in 1905, a time when cars were perhaps as disliked as they have ever been, as well as the small but rising toll of death and injury among pedestrians, a not unconnected complaint was the tendency of many drivers to travel well above the national speed limit of 20 miles per hour. To the delight of popular newspapers, this behaviour saw a string of famous and well-connected men brought before the courts. So Arthur Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, was fined twice in what in the summer of 1905. On a single day, that same summer, one magistrate's court in rural Hampshire extracted speeding fines equivalent to around 15k in modern money from notables including local MP Sir William Palmer, John Wallop, what name that is, John Wallop, better known as the 7th Earl of Portsmouth, and Sir Thomas Lipton, millionaire founder of the eponymous Tea Company. Oh, I did not know that. Okay, lived into iced tea, sure. Uh, but even more annoying was the impact cars had on roads. I always thought lived in iced tea was an American thing. Anyway, um, but even more annoying was the impact cars had on roads, which at the start of the 20th century were wholly unsuited to these weighty and comparatively new, rapid new arrivals. 
is largely forgotten now. In the decades before motor transport appeared, the UK rural roads were arguably as peaceful as they had ever been. Railways have removed almost all longer distance passenger and freight transport and in the process rendered obsolete. Uh, the once ubiquitous turnpike trusts uh, that maintained and improved the services charging tolls in return. Almost all remaining traffic was now local, meaning there were barely any signposts. Dog and dogs and chickens slept on the dilapidated highways. The only recent interruption had come from cyclists who, while not always popular, were at least human-sized annoyance. Then came the cars, which in dry weather threw up into such enormous clouds of dust. This was liberally contaminated with horse dung and urine, a common cause of illness, perhaps causing evergreens chronically inflamed throat. When it was wet, the roads became mud bars. Such was the fury that the government ordered a royal commission to look into it. The still nascent motor industry sprung into action with a vigorous and highly effective campaign of lobbying. The new Automobile Club of Great Britain, um, yeah, uh, two years away from being granted the prefix royal, insisted that motor vehicles were vital for trade and easily available to, quote, men of moderate means, unquote, both of which were obviously untrue at the time. The Committee of Aging Grandees appointed to find solutions, led by William Gully, a liberal politician born in 1835. Outstanding. I love gerontocracies. I, really, I need to do a piece on gerontocracies one day because, oh, gosh, like with um, Diane Feinstein uh, dying recently um, at the age of 90, it's just, it just, it just, um, just raises in my head for, for obvious reasons. Uh, was a tiny unequal to the challenge. Of course he was, because he was born at eighty fucking thirty-five. Appearing credulously, bro. I'm trying to think about what was what came out in eighteen thirty-five. <laughs> he, he, he can't comprehend cars. You know what I mean? It's, it, Seventy odd at that point by the time cars are invented. Fuck off. Anyway, appearing credulously impressed. It's literally watching a seven-year-old like trying to make laws on TikTok. Like that's. It's watching those American Senate um, hearings about like you know TikTok and even Facebook, which is so hilarious. It's just embarrassing how lack of how lack of knowledge in the internet and they're making the laws on those things is kind of hilarious. Not to support techno techno technocrat technocracy technocracy technocrats. Not support technocrats, but you know what I mean. Anyway. That was I. Uh, appearing credibly impressed by uh, the club's evidence, Gully's best offering to Everett Green and a fellow complainant uh, was to attentively acquire, inquire whether it might be possible to invent dustless cars. <laughs> dustless cars. Outstanding. On well, finding out uh, it was not... No shit. <laughs> I wonder how long it took them to gather that information. Although the idea began to slowly emerge. Improve the roads for the car's benefit. Evergreen took the matters in their own hands, moving in 1909 to acquire a life on the almost entirely undeveloped Portuguese island of Madeira. Uh, I, I see you, sister. I like that. Project Barca soon come, hopefully. Uh, that same year, the Chancellor, David Lloyd George, announced a new roads fund to pay for resurfacing work. This is not to say that motorists were the sole cause. Cycling groups had long been campaigning for better roads, or that they got everything that they, want, they wanted. Uh, the fund was financed using taxes based on horsepower of cars and imported oil, despite pleas that this would ruin the car industry, but a precedent had been set. The Royal Automobile uh, Club's argument, curbing car use would be an attack on the common man, remains a central plank of modern war motorist narratives. It is thus worth remembering that in 1905 at least, the exact opposite was true. 
Take the example of the UK's other main motoring organisation, the AA, formed in 1905 with the specific goal of helping drivers dodge the law using bicycle riding scouts, quote-unquote scouts, who would warn about speed traps. This was understandably a considerable annoyance to the police. In 1909, the exasperated Chief Constable of Sussex Police wrote to the Home Office to demand action. A civil servant had to tell him that the AA's fast-growing membership, including five members of the government, two archbishops, leader of opposition, and several other chief constables, the complaint was quietly dropped. The AA in particular, described by one historian as continually growing, quote, both in size and intransigence, unquote, helped keep the government uh, out of drivers' lives for decades to come. Mandatory insurance was fought off until 1930, while the driving test only began in 1935, by which time one person in 200 of the entire UK population was hurt on the roads in a single year. 7,300 deaths and more than 230,000 injuries. Britain was not an outlier. The US, a collection of car makers and dealers, plus associated companies from petrol and rubber industries, formed an alliance known as the Motordom, often alongside the American Automobile Association, AAA, founded in 1902. Among Motordom's coups was using shell companies to buy up successful and popular urban streetcar companies and deliberately run down their services to eliminate competition. This strategy... Mm, I wonder if that's what happened to the London streetcar. Mm, I wonder. There's a good um, video by Jay Foreman on uh, on the history of London streetcars. Um, it's a good video. You should watch it. Very highly entertaining. Anyway... um. This strategy, in an unlikely-sounding uh, future twist, formed the plot for the 1998 film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Fun fact, there you go. More insidious still was the uh, was the way the Alliance sought to shift culp- culpability for mass pedestrian deaths away from drivers, blaming them instead on the very people being mown down. The term jaywalking, meaning pedestrian crossing a street at an unofficial point, originated as an insult by car drivers, a J, being a country dweller who did not know how to cope in a city. Uh, These were, the Washington Post opined in 1913, quote, Men so accustomed to cutting across fields and vintage lots that they zigzag across city streets, scorning to keep to the crossings, ignoring their own safety, unquote. Efforts to make such actions illegal initially founded... I'm assuming it said, I suppose they floundered there, but founded, there's no L. Um, given the ingrained dislike of criminalising the way people had used the streets for centuries, but after Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, very nearly passed a law that the early 1920s that would have forced all cars in the city to be mechanically limited to 25 miles per hour, the auto industry redoubled its efforts. Driving groups employed Boy Scouts to hand out admonishing cars to people who crossed roads unofficially with campaign materials portraying such people as quote-unquote country cousins. Auto groups in the AAA became heavily involved in school safety education, pushing the message that it was up to the children to not play in the street. By the late 1920s, the first laws criminalising jaywalking were passed. Within a few years, they were ubiquitous across the US. A century on from Cincinnati's near brush with safer roads, where are we? In one sense, things are very different in that the car's takeover is so complete that it is barely remarked on. In the UK, two-thirds of even short journeys, less than five miles, are made by private motor vehicle. While deaths are a quarter of their 1934 total, more than 80 people a day on average are killed or seriously injured on the roads. A toll that would prompt national outrage in any other part of life. But there is a sense that we could be approaching another 1905-type moment where the motor vehicle's role is at a crossroads. The advent of electric cars means governments have to devise ways, devise ways other than fuel duty to raise tax revenue. 
While self-driving vehicles, admittedly a technology which seems forever a few years from uh, forever a few years from usability, could disrupt the status quo even more. Additionally, cities uh, around the world are building cycle lanes, imposing 20 mile an hour speed limits and restricting the flow of cars on smaller streets through low traffic neighbourhoods and the like. This has prompted a reaction in turn from driving groups, one happily endorsed by Rishi Sunak's government, which is appointed, which is which was promised to reverse anti-motorist ideas, including his recent rollback on green policies such as dates for the phasing out of new petrol and diesel vehicles. Is there really a war on the driver in 2023? As ever, it depends on who you asked, uh, who you ask, and what evidence you consider. Someone filing a large SUV with diesel can easily pay 50 quid in full fuel duty for a single tank. But at the same time, academic studies suggest that if you factor in all the societal costs of driving, everything from driver danger to pollution and the impact on the climate, then drivers are in fact heavily subsidised. Similarly, while taxes on car use are particularly burdensome for poorer people, the richest households drive on average three times further a year than most deprived, meaning cuts to car-based levies such as fuel duties are deeply regressive. Howard Cox is someone who believes there is a war on the driver, even if his own history perhaps tells a different story. As the head of Fair Fuel UK, he has a case for being the most successful political lobbyist in the country's history leading the charge for a decade-plus freeze on fuel duty, which, according to one estimate, has cost the Treasury £65 billion in counting. He is now standing for London Mayor under the banner of Nigel Farage's Reform UK by, of course he is, on a platform that includes scrapping the ULEZ. Uh, not just its recent expansion, as well as abolishing low-traffic neighbourhoods and 20-mile-an-hour speed limits. Cox insists he is not the car absolutist of some stereotypes. He drives a hybrid and used to cycle regularly for a hip replacement. But he does... What? He's like, okay, right. So he's... Okay, right, fine. I thought he, was, I thought he said he was in a, a car accident because of cars and then after cycling. But anyway, uh, but he does very much believe drivers are maligned and exploit exploited. Quotes, we have 37 million people who can drive. And what we do is make policy around urban areas rather than the whole of the country, he says. Drivers have always been easily cash cows. I've met several exchequer secretaries, and they always say that the first thing they do is sit down and say, so how much more can we get out of drivers, unquote? How many of this I've got left? Um, so I've got three paragraphs. So there's three, eh, there's like a few paragraphs left, um, and I'll leave it there just for the sake of time. Um, but yeah, it's just more of him chatting shit, basically, and, uh, and uh, pushbacks in some fashion. But yeah hey it's just uh it's it's just um yeah it's it's weird it's weird how just uh people are so stuck to cars like if you have to use a car like you know i'm not expecting my mum to use um public transport to go shopping I'm, i really don't i don't expect her to do that right um but you know like i said um rich people use cars more funny enough they also use private jets more and just other shit because excuse me because they're rich and why the fuck not right but um you know there are people that need cars but there's so much uh, there's so much um uh there's so much against just a regular person that just walks or you know or is disabled etc and you know just seeing the landscape of you know my my spot where you know there's a main road down there's a, there's a dual carriageway you know, a couple of minutes down the road for me, um, you know, a main road connecting to my road. It's just, 
It's what he's cars about, man. There's always roadworks going on. It's just it's just aesthetically not even pleasing. Um, I just wonder if, you know, not if everyone's cycled or whatever, but yeah, you know, if everybody just in, if they didn't need to, if they had, if they didn't have the necessity, you know, cycle, walk, or get public transport, grab a taxi, etc., etc. Um, I just, I just, yeah, I just believe there are so many alternatives that we could just um invest in and just actually, you know, mentally invest in. I don't even talk about, I'm not even talking about government money. I'm just talking about, you know, general mental investment. You know, do you need that? Do you do you need to drive that SUV? Do you really need to drive that SUV? That's a great question. You know, ask yourself those kind of questions. Um, if you're a driver, like, do you need that big ass of car? Um, probably not. Um, because you know, the, I don't think people are doing the hiking sh- hiking shit that they show on the adverts. I don't think you lot are doing that. Um, as uh, you know, not many of you, but anyway. But yeah, man, war and motorists is um, a very funny, uh, very funny conversation there. So let's hop into the next uh, segment, which is all about this uh, new report uh, by uh, Black British Voices uh, project, and it's uh, yeah, j- literally just dropped um, a few days ago, and it's an amazing 104-page report um, on just uh, you know just polling black. The uh, basically it was based on a poll um, done. I think uh, 10,000 uh, uh, people of uh, black people in Britain. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, ten thousand respondents, more than ten thousand respondents, uh, made to complete a survey with uh, more than hundred questions. Uh, yeah, so it's it's very thorough, um, and uh, I'm just going to read you the executive summary, which is um, a solid, you know, um, solid pages. Just uh, you know, just giving the overall, um, just some the tasty bits, right? Um, I'm not going to read the whole report, obviously, um, but there's great chapters on identity, uh, building a life, challenges, well-being, and wealth and representation. Um, so, you know, just to say that, but um, let's get into some of these um, just uh, statistics and uh, other in the executive summary. Let's just uh, have a have a gander at those and because um, there's been plenty of articles and one of the next article I'm going to talk about um, references the Black Voices Project as well um, and it's something very dear to me, a topic very um, close to me um, and uh, yeah so and it is also mentioned in the last segment as well so um, yeah very very important piece this one. So executive summary, uh, the Black British Voices Project or the BBVP uh, was launched uh, March 2020, bringing together a committee team from media, consultancy, and private sector who've worked with academic researchers to deliver a wide-ranging, detailed, and up-to-date portrait of the issues that most concern Black Britons today. Our nationwide survey, completed by more than 10,000 Black Britons, backed up by in-depth qualitative data, unsurprisingly confirmed that systemic racism remains an obstacle in every sector that was studied. Uh, we studied among the most concerning statistics contained in the 16 sections of the report are these. Um, so. 41% survey responders identify racism as the biggest barrier to young black people's educational attainment. 95% believe national curriculum neglects black lives and experiences. Fewer than 2% believe educational institutions take racism seriously. 98% feel that they uh, feel they have to compromise who they are in the workplace. 90% of young black people um, expect to experience racial, racial prejudice as adults. 
I'd like to talk to those 10%. Uh, 87% of black Britons distrust the criminal justice system. 90% object to anti-black stereotyping on TV. 95% feel not enough is being done to combat racism in sports. Fewer than 1 in 60 respondents felt fairly uh, uh, felt fairly treated by the health system. 96% uh, perceive financial literacy to be critical in their future security. 3 out of 4 believe black business are treated unfairly. 94% believe the government is not taking sufficient action on behalf of black brands and 1 in 6 black brands do not consider themselves to be British. So that's some um, kind of the statistics that um, a lot of articles have been, you know, taking from and uh, yeah, it's very easy aggregate material um, which is which is fine, you know, is what it is. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of um uh, there's some con- headline conclusions that they what they added as well. So here's a couple here. Um, much more needs to be done to overcome acceptably high levels of racial discrimination in too many sectors of today's society. Complacency that allows such persistent patterns of prejudice to be tolerated is one of the main obstacles to change. The, uh, the means to deliver better and fairer societal institutions are available, but they require that full extent that the full extent of the problem be acknowledged. Band aid solutions are not only bound to fail, but their repeated failures make matters worse by reconfirming a lack of will to deliver all change. The failure to adequately uh, acknowledge the depth and complexity of the causes of racial justice in Britain today is a major contributing factor to their con- uh, continuation. Right. So there's more um, specific areas here. So this one's on Britishness. Um, so this is the number of black brands who understand themselves as British, 81%, is significantly higher than the number who consider themselves proud to be British, which is 49%. Englishness is a more difficult identity than Britishness for many black brands. Although a significant majority, 81% of black brands understand themselves as British, roughly one in six do not. Um, this one's on BAME. Um, for those that don't know, it means British, Asian, and minority ethnic. Kind of just a buzzword that politicians like to use and to, you know, corral, you know, just a very significant contingent of the UK. Um, but obviously, you know, racially, that doesn't really work when, you know, differences are inside those BAME. So, anyway. This category is more favorably viewed by minority respondents, 21%, who recognize this historic wrong data collection, but who nonetheless see it as dated. 75% of respondents overwhelmingly feel this category is reductive and homogenizing. Interview data suggests that BAME is perceived as both a sign and symptom of band-aid approaches and thus of failure. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and lastly, uh, BAME uh, cons- consequently signals both misperception uh, and underestimation of the problems of systemic racism is intended to address. Uh, this one's on LGBTQ+. A majority of respondents, 56%, feel that acceptance of black LGBTQ plus people has improved over the last 10 years. I'd probably agree with that. Um, interview data confirmed that religious intolerance of LGBTQ plus data uh, people will uh, remains a significant obstacle uh, to greater acceptance. 85% of participants perceive that LGBTQ plus people will continue to experience uh, discrimination within black communities. 59% of those surveyed uh, believe that black LGBTQ plus individuals uh, face additional layers of discrimination due to the combination of their sexual orientation and race. Um, and that's that's where intersectionality comes in, of course. Uh, this one's on religion and spirituality. 84% of respondents describe themselves as religious and or spiritual. That's interesting. Um, 
well, I'm reading the minority there. Who knows? Who knew? Um, I thought it'd be, I thought it'd be lesser. 84, 84%. Interesting. There is evidence too uh, that both religion and the church may play a particularly important role as sources of refuge and solace in a society that may feel uh, especially hostile at times to many black Britons. Despite their significant importance to the lives of black Britons, only 7% of survey respondents believe, reported that their religion was more defining of their identity than their race. Fascinating. Uh, some LGBTQ plus respondents to the survey and in interviews were particularly critical of religious intolerance within institutions such as the Catholic Church. Um, next one's on education. 94% of BBVP participants believe black students suffer uh, from low, lower educational attainment expectations from educators compared to non-black students. Uh, 10 times as many respondents, 41% perne- uh, perceive uh, racial discrimination to, quote, definitely be the biggest barrier to young people's academic attainment as to as those who think this is definitely not the case, 4%. Uh, 95% of participants perceive the uh, British national curriculum to inadequately accommodate black history-related subjects. Facts, uh, fewer than 2% of survey respondents believe that British educational institutions are taking the issue of racial indifference seriously. And the sense that the more uh, black teachers and more uh, focus on black lives and histories uh, would help is offset by a deep distrust in British uh, educational institutions to serve the needs of black British children. Um, so what's they got here? Uh, the workplace, young people in the future. Um, I'm going. I'm going to try. I'm going to skip a couple of these. Uh, let's do criminal justice and then health and the art, uh, media and the arts. Um, there's also sport, healthcare, and uh, the workplace and young people in the future. But I just want to do these last two right here. Um, actually, there may be more. Who knows? Oh, okay, mental health, disability, politics, uh, business and enterprise, financial capacity. So yeah, there's um, there's plenty I can jump into here. I'll, I'll, I think I'll do financial capacity as well. Um, I'll do those three, and then we'll call it a day on that one. And then I'll throw in the link. And the link is to this whole PDF. Um, so please encourage you obviously give the whole thing a read. Uh, but yeah, here's the criminal justice, media and the arts, and also uh, financial uh, capacity. So let's do these. Uh, criminal justice. Uh, 20 years after the McPherson report, uh, the British uh, criminal justice system, including the courts, as well as police and the penal system, remain highly distrib- distrusted by black Britons. 87 of participants reported that they do not trust Britain's criminal justice system. Racial profiling, along with stop and search laws, continue to play an outsized role in fueling tensions between the police and black communities. 79% of respondents believe that stop and search is used unfairly against black people. Views on whether the police can be improved by the recruitment of more black police officers remain deeply divided. Um, so this is media and the arts next. Black British perceptions of British media institutions suggest widespread disappointment with what are perceived as entrenched patterns of system uh, systematic exclusion. Uh, fewer than 10% of participants believe theatres and publishing houses are doing enough to encourage black participation in their sectors. 96% of respondents thought black men and 93% believe black women are negatively stereotyped in the mainstream media. 90% of survey respondents object to negative stereotyping of black women and men on TV. Uh, 60 Wait, what? Why would you not object to negative stereotyping? Who's that 10% that, that said, you know what? I want negative stereotyping. What the fuck are you talking about? Anyway, weird. 
uh, felt that black theatre productions were either somewhat or definitely not embraced by mainstream theatres. So let's do the last one here, financial capacity, a couple here. 92% of respondents perceive a generational wealth gap in black communities compared to other racial groups. Facts, uh, for me, facts anyway. Uh, 96% of uh, participants consider financial literacy to be a critical component in the effort to secure greater financial security. For black British people in the future, and 56 percent of respondents feel they do not have enough knowledge about financial management. Uh, and then last one's very fascinating. I feel like um, you know wealth and finance is um, you know very very significant um, thing that I feel you know as a diaspora we need um, you know just really good education on and um, and also need in order to progress. Uh, but I feel like it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of ways to do it in terms of finance, and I feel like we're pro- we probably lean uh, the wrong way, and I uh, feel like the most vocal voices are people that defend capitalism, and uh, I find that very unfortunate. Um, I'm I'm saying that purely um, subjectively and hypothetical. Well, you know, um, what's the what's the word I'm looking for? Um, speculatively, there you go. I'm, I'm, I'm speculating. Um, I have no data on that, but I'm just kind of thinking of the people that constantly talk about financial literacy are the people that are, are you know, very entrenched in capitalism. That's just what I see. Um, you may see different, but um, and I hope people see different because I feel like you know I've said this before. Capitalism is just you know a root of a lot of ills in our society, and uh, for Black people especially, for Black Britons especially. Um, you know, financial literacy is one thing, but what to do with that financial literacy is a whole nother thing. Um, so yeah, that's um, just a smidgen of the report. Um, again, very groundbreaking, very important piece of work. Um, so, um, you know, big ups to everybody involved on that front and to the 10,000 people who participated. Um, and uh, yeah, man, we're going to just dive into a little more specific element of the report. Let's get into this third one, which is uh, by The Independent, uh, by race correspondent Nadine White, uh, one of my faves. Um, it's called Almost Half of Young Black Britons Plan to Migrate Amid Racism Concerns, Landmark Study Highlights. So, And the study is obviously, excuse me, the one uh, she, uh, well, well, the one I was talking about previously. But let's jump right into this, because um, I feel like, you know, I am one of these people, <laughs> personally. Um, you know, I said Project Barcelona or Project Barca before um, in the episode, and um, that's genuinely something I want to do. Um, I really want to be out of this country, low-key, um, and uh, I probably need to put more research into it um, if I'm going to do that, but honestly, I don't think it's a possibility for me at this point um, in the near future. Um, but once it is a possibility, you, 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 you're darn fucking skippy. I'm going to put some research in that. Um, and uh, and you know it might not even be Barcelona. I'm just I just say Barcelona because I like the vibe of Barcelona. But um, you know it might be somewhere different. Who knows? But um, I'm open on that front. But overall, I really want to kind of blokey get out of here. Like um, it's really jarring. Anyway, uh, let's jump right into the cycle. Um, almost half of half, almost half of young black British people plan to leave the country amid wider concerns of societal racism. Landmark research uh, launched on the eve of Black History Month has revealed more than ten thousand black British people were surveyed for the 
collaborated for this project between November 21 and March 22. The research collaboration between the British African uh, African Caribbean newspaper The Voice, Cambridge University, and Black-led consultancy iCubed uh, covered 16 topics, including Britishness, education, and the workplace. While 45% of under 25 said they regard Britain as their permanent home, 39% um, indicate that they aspire to live somewhere else, uh, live elsewhere in the future, with the remainder either saying they do not know or prefer not to say. When partic- participants were asked if they were proud to be British, 49% uh, indicated that they were uh, either definitely or somewhat proud to be British. Um, of the remaining respondents, 45% indicated that they were not really or not at all proud to be British, while 6% um, said they do not know, prefer not to say. Lester Holloway, editor of The Voice, said, quote, This study should be a wake-up call for Britain. Uh, we have many fourth-generation black Brits, and as a community, we should be f- feeling part of this country. Um, so, you know, fourth-generation black Brits, right, is, is um, obviously the, I think, the a very significant minority that is obviously going to grow over the years. Um, it's, they're coming, right? Um, for me, I am um, second generation Black British. Um, so, you know, that that tells you something, um, that the fact that I'm 20, uh, 27 and there are, you know, fourth generation Black Brits about, running about. That's crazy, right? Um, you know, shout out to, um, you know, I'm uncle to LD. Um, shout out to David and Mary's uh, new you. And, um, you know, he's, He's first generation Black British, technically. Um, you know, um, David's Jamaican. Recently got um, British uh, citizenship, only recently. Um, so I don't know if he even cons- considers himself Black British or not. Um, but um, his uh, his girl Mary's a native Nigerian. Um, so yeah, you know, he's <laughs> he's he's the first Black British in that family. Um, and that's and cr- again, crazy to think about that. There's four generations in some places. Um, yeah, the lived experience of racism in every area is in of life is leading many to not feel British. We cannot keep ignoring racial disparities and its impact. There needs to be a national conversation about this. Um, and we need race back on the political agenda so we can tackle the causes of this disconnect between black Brits and the only country they know, unquote. A majority of 98% stated they have uh, had to compromise who they are or how they express themselves to fit in the workplace. Um, that's probably why I've not been in a... <laughs> been in a workplace because i refuse uh, ex- examples of giving uh examples given of fitting uh, in included altering clothing and hairstyles speech patterns and being expected to join workmates at the pub after work according to a report among other findings were that not 80 percent of those polled believe racial discrimination was either definitely or somewhat the biggest barrier to young black people's academic attainment the study's authors said in report interviewees who expressed pride in being uh, British often gave examples of activities or institutions that have enabled them to successfully participate in British society, e.g. being a Londoner, home ownership, work of the NHS, etc. Whereas respondents who said uh, they were not proud to be British cited negative factors such as colonialism, historically racist immigration policies as reason uh, contributing to their response, unquote. Uh, the survey also addressed some questions to the fewer than 500 respondents aged 25, under 25, saying that while they were too few responses uh, to, quote, draw any definitive conclusions, they clearly suggest avenues of further inquiry. Unquote. Kenny, Dr. Kenny Monrose of uh, Cambridge University Department of Sociology is the pr- project's lead researcher. Uh, quote, we are mindful that historically black communities have been wary of reports 
um, conducted on race as they attempt to limit or invalidate the reality of their lived experiences, he said. However, through a carpet of data, uh, catch up within this report reliably highlights the chronic level of disparities and unequal outcomes that they face on a daily basis. Dr. Maggie Smith, uh, Maggie S- said Maggie Smith, Maggie Semple, uh, Semple co-founder of iCubed, said the overwhelming response to the survey shows the black British people want change, change for good for them, their children, future generations. We can no longer overlook the lived realities of black people in the UK and be non-committal in providing impactful long-term solutions. This is an opportunity to acknowledge our views and opinions uh, with the intent of creating a better future for us all. All right, so that's the article, and I know um, the title kind of just was kind of like a bait into ba- what is basically an aggregate um, piece, um, but you know she got quotes, which is you know obviously her job, um, which is good. But um, yeah, I just wanted to focus on the Black British, uh, Black Britain's plan to migrate. Um, you know, this is something that I constantly lament when it comes to you know um, white people, you know, just fucking off to you know. Benidorm or you know going going on a place in the sun and all those shows right and they're always fucking like 60 odd and you know they have their money they're retired and shit but you know I feel like that never happens for you know for us apart from you know people that just go back to the motherland um wherever that may be for them whether it's the Caribbean or uh, or Africa but you know a lot of people do, I'm sure a lot of people do that um there's probably a lot of people um, that have those stories of um you know going to going back home for a while and um and just never coming back right um i have a friend shout out to caroline who you know is had has had strong um a strong wanting to you know just dip out of this country and just go back home um and just you know just do things there and just do bits there and um you know she hasn't she hasn't yet but i if i asked her today are you still thinking about it she's probably gonna go fuck yeah i'm thinking about it. i think about it every day i think about it every time i leave work she probably say something along those lines and um you know for me as a like i said second generation black british person um it's a very interesting conversation you know i've never been to montserrat where you know that's where my that's where my uh my my nan and my uh, great aunts um came through to the uk via um and you know i've never been um, but I'd like to go and you know obviously that obviously Montserrat for those who don't know is half of it's covered in volcanic ash so it's not exactly you know the most habitable island of all time um, so I'm not expecting myself to you know go there and just go oh I want to live here I want to you know, spend my days here um, but you know it doesn't even have to be Montserrat it doesn't have to be that I don't have to be I'm not that rooted honestly and you know, I'm rooted I feel rooted to London um, as a city, um, I feel, you know, a lot of things I enjoy, a lot of things I love in life are in London for me, um, a lot of things I want in life are in London, but apart from that, um, I don't really have any, um, you know, significant uh, sadness of like, you know, if I, if I never came to where I live now again, okay, <laughs> you know, apart from visiting family and friends and that, like, I don't really care, Um you know, anywhere else in England, probably not, um, you know, I went to Southampton for university, um, and, you know, that was cool, I like Southampton as a, as a city, but, um, you know, I, I'd like, I want to go back there, just, you know, visit friends and that, and just see where it's at, but, um, and see what's popping over there, but apart from that, you know, don't really want to live there or anything, you know, I mean, and migrate to Southampton, um, but, you know, I feel strong, just, 
I feel a strong wanting to just get out of this country, honestly. Um, I feel like, you know, politically and socially and obviously societally, as we've been talking about this episode, there's just a lot of shit. There's just a lot of shit. And I feel like, you know, if if and if solutions are found, it's found by people with either bad intentions or bad faith arguments or just, you know, or good or good faith and they're just doing it wrong. Um, I feel like there's just a lot of um, hurdles and uh, I'm just not enticed by any of it. Um, I'm enticed by the overall, um, by the overall task of bettering ourselves as a diaspora. Um, but I feel like that can be done anywhere, in my opinion. Um, I don't have to if I if I wanted to pursue that. If I had the means to do that, if I had the financial means, especially to um to to do that and to do what I want on that front, um, it wouldn't have to be via you know where i'm sitting now recording or even in london it could be anywhere i could do it anywhere um i believe so um yeah just wanted to um hop back to the point of the tile of the article um but yeah it's it's something that i'm sure there's a lot of people that have similar feelings uh, maybe for different reasons um but you know like i said almost half of half of us want to migrate and that's that's crazy to think about to finish off this um, opinion piece by Nels Abbey via The Guardian um, this is something I literally found like an hour before recording um, and you know, I, just, I, just, I had to get into it uh, partly because it was nice and short but it's just funny um, it's just one of the one of the things that you know kind of linking everything together it's Kemi Badnock a, a black conservative MP and uh, I feel like you know if she did that fucking survey she's one of those um, you know minorities uh you know uh, minority in the number of uh you know participants that said all uh said that dumb shit <laughs> what was it? Oh, i forgot I, i've already forgotten the, the particular one that i just laughed at but uh oh yeah yeah it's racial stereotypes on in media so yeah i want to see that like fucking jokers anyway so this is response to kemi badnock who um had her speech um i find it funny that tory conference uh and their t- and their tagline for the for the whole thing because they always have a tagline behind them right is um long-term decisions for a brighter future which is so hilarious because you know hopefully within 12 months um this this the tory government should be you know completely fucking decimated in the in voting um and hopefully they do a, a sense of the fucking stone age on that front um, so it's just funny how, you know, long-term decisions, you, you ain't got long-term, bro, <laughs> you're, you're a short-term party right now, but anyway, um, so yeah, article by, opinion by Nels Abbey is called Britain's the best place to be black, says Kemi Badnock, but ask yourself, is it as good as being white? I can literally just stop there and end the show, but <laughs> anyway, in the age of the exit, uh, cost of living crisis, uh, high inflation, high interest rates, high taxation, low growth, climate crisis, and serious international turmoil. The business secretary might make headlines talking about business and economics, but then Kemi Badnock is not in the running to improve Britain. She is in the running to lead the Conservative Party. She is here to do well. And if you want to do well on a certain echelons of British life, there are 14 words that govern your every utterance. No black person ever went broke telling white people that what they want to hear. Don't know why I said it like that, but I just wanted to highlight all the 14 words anyway. No black person ever went broke telling white people what they want to hear. There you go. 
With that in mind, this is Kemi. Quote, I tell my children, she has children, outstanding, um, this is the best country in the world to be black because it's a country that sees people, not labels, unquote. Back of the net, she continued, quote, back of the net, it wasn't a tough decision for us to reject the divisive agenda of critical race theory. We believe, oh, here we go. Oh, she went into it. Fuck's sake. All right. We believe, as Martin Luther King once said, da, 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 uh, people should be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin, unquote. Uh, I'd, love a, um, I'd love a super cut of people that completely misread Martin Luther King quoting Martin Luther King. It, there must be there must be a supercut somewhere because it's every fucking time it's just oh it's just it's outstanding they they can't keep Martin Luther King out of their fucking mouth it's actually wild anyway excuse me Kemi would be Rishi um so here comes the Tommy tickle followed by every right winger's favorite and only King quote we see you Kemi but still let us indulge her for a moment is Britain really the best place to be black. It would be brutally dishonest to suggest that Britain is not a good place to live for anybody. We are a nation blessed with often stolen wealth, truly talented people, many of them are stolen too, and robust systems and controls that theoretically seek fairness, uh, as compassion and justice. But scratch the surface, look at some of the statistics and stories that constitute the black British experience and less than stellar themes emerge. Just 24 hours before Bad Knock made her best place to be black speech, Hubert Brown, a 61-year-old black man based in Bristol, was fatally stabbed in the neck in what police say is being treated as a race-hate crime. In most cases, black life in Britain is treated as cheap. Last year, in the early hours of 20th uh, 20th November, uh, Fatimata Haidara and her two daughters died after a neighbour took petrol from his motorbike and poured it through their letterbox and set their house alight as they slept. He was convicted of murder. It was an unimaginably horrific crime, but didn't spur massive coverage or significant political response. It's the economy, Kemi, and on practically every measure of financial prosperity in Britain, from unemployment, from employment rates to wage gaps, uh, wage gaps to business financing, black people face hundred uh, face additional hurdles and often lag behind. Those of us who do manage to establish themselves. Uh, ourselves in the professional realm often face serious code switching and sometimes racism laundering. It demands that there can be stepping stones to mental and sometimes even physical health issues. Putting aside internationally shameful abominations such as the Windrush scandal, the report by the Commission on Race and Ethnic Disparities, which the UN condemned as an attempt to normalise white supremacy, and the flight of Britain's first black princess to America. An analysis of key areas of black life in Britain, power, portrayal, privilege, protection, pound sterling, reveal varying degrees of comparative disadvantage. The groundbreaking Black British Voices report, produced by the Voice newspaper, Cambridge University, Sociology Department and Management Consultancy, iCubed, polled more than 10k Britons and outlines their many concerns. Is stark, bleak, and in total opposition to Badenoch's rosy assertions. Just 50% of black Britons consider themselves proud to be British. 
High five. Of, okay, I'm going to skip these because I've said them. Uh, despite and not because of uh, the likes of Bad Knock and Party, black people in Britain have made enormous progress and have contributed massively to Britain as a society and are now in many ways a force behind much of the culture holding us together. However, the idea of pondering if Britain's the best place to be an oppressed minority is preposterous. The question should never be, is Britain the best place to be black? The question and measure should be, is Britain, a, a, is Britain as good a place to be black as it is to be white? One thing that is certain, if you are black, Britain is a great country to be a racial demagogue, and racism laundering by those who fancy themselves for the country's top job could prove a very smart move. Yeah, I mean, that's, 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 that's a great, uh, I think the question, you know, is Britain a good place to be black as it is to be white? That's that's the question that should be asked at every point in time. At every point when something happens, ask that question. Is Britain a good as a place to be black as it is to be white? And the answer will at this at this point and for the near future will be hell fucking no. Hell fucking no. Okay, is it a good place for South Asians? Hell fucking no, as it compared to white. No. Um, yeah, you know, South Asians, Bangladeshis, Pakistanis, uh, you know, Africans, Caribbeans. None of it is, but it is as good as it is being white, and that is the case of it. That is the that, that is the cut paste done. That's it. That's the cut. That's the cut of it. Simple as. And I'm very glad, very happy that I managed to cut this episode down to um, just over an hour. I was, I was getting to the motorist bit, and I was like, "Oh shit, we're running a little late on time." But yeah, obviously, I skipped the last two. I didn't skip the last two, but I, you know, I skipped through the last two very quickly because, you know, partly because they were short and they were talking about the report and they were mentioning the report heavily, um, which I, you know, put some a little bit of time in talking about. But, you know, the links are all in the description. Please give them the read. That's why we're here um, to educate ourselves, especially the report itself. Um, and also, you know, just anything on motorists, because um, I feel like, you know, that's a conversation that needs to be had, especially from a climate perspective. Um, you know, I feel like cars are something that should be, you know, heavily considered as something that, you know, eradication is probably too strong a word, but, you know, significantly just trying collectively to uh to 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 hinder the use consistent use of cars um but you know and also black life which is what we've been talking about all this episode and that's our all society episode of wg from the fifth film podcast network i have a child taylor and it's been most good intro music was too much by vanilla Thanks to Job Music for the bit use. You can find their links in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy Hire, Fred of 5 you Nappy Hire for the bit use charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. I hope you all have a great Black History Month. I hope you learn something. At least at least one black thing a day. Like you know what I mean? Just like you know, just just try and learn. Um, there's plenty of uh, places to go uh, for that. And uh, yeah, hope you all have a good week. I hope you have all a great Black Ocean, UK Black Ocean Month. Uh, but until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.